subject it's such a mysterious subject that um, I'll just be honest with you I, I claim no thank you I claim no uh, uh, no expertise in these things I only can preach as the Lord has brought me to see and understand and I hope that they, that it is within the truth. You know, there's a lot of uh, misconception about God's love being preached today, uh, being taught today in uh, the uh, churches of the world, the the uh, modern day churches. Uh, everything's about God's love, God's love, God's love. And we know the Bible does say that God is love. That is an attribute of God. That's a characteristic of God. God is love, and we believe that. And a lot of times, I guess people don't really think we believe that because they don't really seem to hear us teach that very often. Uh, but it's because we don't teach it and preach it in the way that the modern churches teach and preach God's love. We don't preach and teach God's love as this ooey-gooey attraction or feeling towards people. That's not what God's love is. It's not how the Bible defines God's love. It's not about what the what what we think about what God's love is. It's it's what does the testimony of God's word say about God's love? And that's how we are to believe it. We are to believe what the truth or the record says about God's love. Excuse me. And so whenever we look through Scripture and we 
as we have in many times past, we discover passages that teach us on God's love and what God's love uh, is, what how God's love is shown, and to whom God's love is shown, then we begin to formulate a doctrine, or we see that Christ has given us a doctrine or a teaching within his scriptures on God's love. He has revealed God's love. Christ has revealed God to us, whether he's revealed God in his own person as in the flesh, or as he has given it to us as the word. Here we have the word of God, uh, who is also Christ. Christ has given us his words uh, by his spirit. And so we have the very testimony of God of who he is. And so that testimony supersedes all testimonies. That testimony supersedes all other things. And we gain our understanding of God's love, not by the world, not by modern churches, not by commentators and creeds and confessions and psychology, not by our feelings and things. We, we get our understanding of God and His love, uh, particularly that we'll be talking about today, by the Word of God. And so we let that be our guide. We let that be our, uh, uh, our, our instruction. And so often whenever we preach of God's love, and as we'll see today in these passages that the Lord has, has brought to my mind, at least if we get to them, um, <clears throat> We see that God's love is shown in the death or the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. That's how God shows His love to people, is through substitutionary atonement, substitutionary death, substitutionary life and obedience. Christ's substitutionary work is God's love towards His people. And whenever we preach the gospel, whenever we preach God's electing love, whenever we preach God's uh, uh, particular redemption, whenever we preach uh, God's uh, uh, predestination uh, to adoption, God's predestination of all things actually, but uh, God's predestination particularly uh, to salvation, His determining the destinies of of, of of people and especially the people of of his love, his elect. Whenever we preach those things, and to most people that becomes abrasive because they don't believe in election, they don't believe in predestination, they don't believe that Christ only died for his people, they don't believe that that it's all, that it is effectual and not by their decision. Whenever we preach those the true gospel that is antithetical towards the modern quote-unquote, gospels of today, which are truly just false gospels, whenever we preach those things, to them it's foolishness. To them it's not love. We're not preaching love. You're preaching something else besides love. You should be preaching how God loves everybody, not how God uh, is doing this or doing that or is seclusive to these people only and loves these people only, that God loves everybody just the same. But brethren, we got a bare record of what the scriptures say. And today we see in our passage that we have before us, and in the few that I have gathered, we, we have what the Bible teaches about this love. And so we want to, we want to share the truth of God's love 
and and not what man wants to hear. See, it, it's not going to do me any good to stand up here and tell you what you want to hear. Okay, what what the natural man wants to hear, I should say. You know, the child of God, the child of grace, they want to hear what's true about God and what's true about His love, what's true about Christ and His salvation. They want to hear that. They desire that. That inner man longs and feeds off of those things. But the natural man, it doesn't like these things. It's foolishness to him. He doesn't care for it. And listen, the people that are not the children of God, the reprobates of this world, they will never love this message. They will never love these truths because they have no capacity to love them. They have no spiritual life that feeds off of spiritual things. Now, with that said, the passage that I'm going to read today here in Jeremiah, there's a lot to be said about the temporal, historical aspect of this passage with Israel uh, coming out of exile, uh, of, of the things that's being uh, that's going on among the children of Israel in the natural. Okay, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot of history that we can learn. There's a lot of uh, life lessons that we can learn about these things. But brethren, whenever we read these things in the Old Testament, always remember they are to speak of Christ. They're to point us to Christ. We're to preach Christ Jesus from these Old Testament. We're not here just to give a history lesson. Okay, you can read your Bible and you can get in the Old Testament and study and learn what the historical record is saying about what happened to Israel and the people and all that. You can read that. But we want to this morning, we want to, as, as the, uh, as the letter to the Corinthians, as Paul wrote, we want to not come in the words and wisdom of man, but we want to, uh, we want to preach and teach spiritual things unto spiritual. We want to compare spiritual things with spiritual. So today we want to look at the spiritual aspect of this, not necessarily the historical, temporal aspect of this passage. Now truly, again, as I said, this passage comes right in the middle of a lot of historical things happening to Israel, happening with, by the prophets, Jeremiah, uh, writing these things and uh, the work of Hosea and, and the exile of, of the of the people, the ten tribes, uh, you know, that has vanished and uh, Judah and, and Israel being uh, being kept. And there's just a lot of stuff that's going on here. But brethren, we want to look deeper than that. We want to look into the spiritual aspects of that. And so I'm going to start reading at verse 1 and I'm going to read down to verse 3. It says, At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Now, let's keep in mind, I'm going to stop there just for a brief second, and remind us, all throughout the Bible, God declares to His people, and by the way, this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is a book that has been written not only to these specific people and they are it was written directly to them I mean there is a context into which they were written to them but the Bible tells us it's also for us okay we can learn from these things we can understand things there's principles there is facts about God there is the testimony of Christ all these things is written but brethren this is written for the children of God it's not written for the reprobate this Bible is not written for those 
who are not the children of God. It is written for the children of God that they might know their God, that they might know themselves, that they might know the salvation that's been given to them through the Lord Jesus Christ, how it was accomplished, how it is handed down to them, and what their future looks like. It teaches about all these things. And at the center of every bit of it is Jesus Christ. And so always remember whenever you're reading your Bible, these things here are for God's people. This is this is words for them. It's not words for just everybody that's out there. Everybody thinks, that, well, hey, we can just pick up the Bible and read it and understand it. No, only those who are God's people who have been given understanding, who have been converted of the Spirit, who have been quickened of God, given the Spirit of God in them, and that Spirit has quickened them and given them repentance to understand and acknowledge the truth. They are the only ones who can know the spiritual aspects of this book. And so, whenever God says that He will be a, uh, that they will be a people that, that He is going to, uh, I will be the Lord, at this time says the Lord, I, uh, will I be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. We hear all throughout Scripture God talking about this very thing. He said, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will dwell with them and they will dwell with me. We hear about this, this union between God and His people. Now, remember, whenever we speak of Israel, even though there was a natural Israel made up of a nation of people, whenever the Bible talks about Israel, especially in the New Testament, whenever we begin to talk about Israel on the spiritual aspect of the things, Israel represents all the elect of God. That's every elect person from Adam down to the last person that will ever be uh, before the Lord comes. That's the elect of God. That's who Israel represents. Israel is the whole of all the elect. Okay? And so there's several different names that the Bible uses to speak of the elect. Whether it be the elect, or whether it be the beloved, whether it speaks of uh, of Israel, whether it speaks of Judah, whenever it speaks of, uh, uh, of the, the family of God, whenever it speaks of the church. Okay, the church speaks of the of those on this earth that has been gathered up out from among the elect. Okay, and it is made up of gathered bodies of elect. Uh, so it always, at some way, is describing the elect of God. And he says that he will be a God to them and they shall be my people. God only has one people. Okay, and that is the spiritual Israel of God. That's who we are talking about. And we see that throughout the New Testament. And I don't have time to go back and show all those things, but Paul makes that very clear in, uh, uh, in, in Romans uh, chapters uh, 10 and 11. Uh, he makes that very clear. Uh, he says, um, Hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I am... Uh, an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew see it's not he hasn't cast away all of Israel he's cast away uh, everyone except those that he has foreknew the ones that he foreknew he's not cast them away he says what ye not what the scripture saith of Elias how he maketh intercession to God against Israel saying 
Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dig down thy altars, and I am left alone, and thy seed my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace it is no more of works, otherwise grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So we see here that um, that uh, Israel uh, is distinguished between those who are the ones that God foreknew and the ones that God did not foreknew. Uh, we see that also in um, uh, chapter 9 when uh, when God wrote, For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. They are not all Israel who are of Israel, which are of Israel, or from the nation Israel. Not all the people that are in the nation Israel are of the true and spiritual Israel. It said, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, will the seed of Abraham in the flesh, those are all Israelites. If you're a seed of Abraham, you're an Israelite. But see, God's making a distinction. There is a physical seed, and there is a spiritual seed. Okay, It's not the physical seed, that is the children of God, but it's the spiritual seed. That's why it says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. <clears throat> that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Okay? So whenever we speak of Israel in the spiritual aspect or in the spiritual term, we are speaking of the spiritual children of God, which are the elect of God. So he says, At the same time, saith the Lord back in Jeremiah, Will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Now there isn't no if, ands, or buts about this. Okay? God didn't put this up. I'm sorry, guys. My nose is just itching to death. God did not put this up for grabs. He didn't give them a choice and say, Here you go. Uh, You're either going to choose me, uh, and, 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 and be my people or not. Now, I know some are going to go to the scripture uh, that says, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve. That is not talking about salvation. That is not talking about being the elect. That is not talking about eternal destinies. That is talking about temporal service to God. Because in that passage, God gives a warning not only to the wicked, but also to the righteous. That if the righteous forsakes his righteousness and does that which is wicked, then they too will die. Okay? So if that's talking about salvation, then it's saying that there is a way to lose your salvation. And we know the Bible teaches that we can't lose our salvation. Okay? So, this is talking about the people of God. It's talking about the spiritual people of God. God is their people. And it says they shall be my people. How does God know? How does God have the... How can God say, they shall be my people? Well, that's because He has predestinated before the foundation of the world those who would be His. He has declared before the foundation of the world uh, that He would have a people for Himself and in love He has elected these people and given them to Christ and that Christ would redeem these people 
that these people would be his people. It's not a maybe. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's no chance involved in this. That's why we're not fatalists. Fatalism works on chance. It happens because by chance this takes place. We don't believe in chance. We don't believe in uh, fatalism. Fatalism is a chaotic thing. Everything comes to its uh, fatalistic end, determined end, out of chaos. But yet God is not the author of chaos. God is a orderly God. He has purposed all things. So therefore it's not chaotic. It's not chance. It's not just out of nowhere a fatalistic thing. God is, it's a deterministic thing. God has determined all things. And he's going to make sure that everything happens according to his purpose. Okay? So, it says, Thus saith the Lord, verse 2, Thus saith the Lord, The people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. Now again, there is some actual physical, historical aspects to what happened here. But let's look at this on the spiritual side. Let's think of the spiritual things. The people which were left of the sword, the people who did not come under the wrath of God, who the sword of the Lord had not been pointed at. Okay? If you remember, the Bible says of the elect of God that He has not appointed us under wrath. The Bible says, Blessed are they... Uh, or blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not sin. Or blessed is uh, uh, blessed is the uh, or the Lord who uh, has not seen iniquity in Jacob, nor hath he beheld uh, perverseness in Israel. For the shout of a king is among them. Okay, um, we see that there is a people that the wrath of God does not abide upon them. That they were not appointed under wrath. That they have never been under God's wrath. Listen, the elect of God have never been under the wrath of God. Okay? And some will say, well, the Bible says that we who by nature were children of wrath. Yes, it says children of wrath, not children under wrath. Okay? It says we were children of wrath. Meaning that we were wrathful in our nature. We were wrathful to God. We hated God. We were enemies of God. We were at enmity against God. We did not like this God of the Bible. We did not want this God of the Bible. And so we were by nature children of wrath. Okay? But even though we were children of wrath and we were like those children of disobedience, the Bible says that we were not appointed under wrath. We were not appointed, meaning we were not appointed to receive wrath. The Bible says that there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We were never appointed unto condemnation and wrath. We deserved it in our natural man. We have sinned against God. We deserve God's wrath. This body is not going to be glorified. It's not. It's going to be dissolved and a brand new body is going to be given to us. The natural man can do nothing to please God. It can do nothing to, to gain merit before God. The natural man is just sinful in every aspect. Okay? But yet the child of grace, that inner man, the person that we are that's born from above, that person 
that that person has been loved by God, and that person uh, is uh, never been appointed under wrath. Okay, but to receive grace and mercy by the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, "Thus saith the Lord: The people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness." See, here we are in this wilderness. This world's not our home. This place is not where we belong. The Bible says that we are not of this world, that we are from above, that we have been born from above. So that's our that's where our home is. And we're just like pilgrims passing through a, a, a foreign place. And just as the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, <clears throat> so the child of grace wanders in this wilderness until his appointed time to either be taken to the Lord or whenever Christ comes back and the end of days is there. Okay, We have been placed in this wilderness and we wander and this fleshly man, uh, all it can do is uh, uh, live off the wilderness. But the child of grace longs for a place besides this place. We desire and see a city like Abraham. We see a city uh, not built with hands. We see a place that's further on down the road. We see Christ. We see all the spiritual things in the promise and the heirs, uh, heirship of what we have in Christ Jesus. And so we look to those things. And even though we are in this wilderness, we are not of it. Okay, We are from above. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. Notice that God had to cause them to rest. God had to cause them to rest. We don't rest in our own ability. We don't rest until God gives us faith to see Christ as our substitute. Christ is our rest. Okay, He is our Sabbath. Whenever we see Christ and what He has done for us, we enter into that rest and we we cease from our labors. We cease from trying to provide a righteousness before God. And we trust in Christ's righteousness on our behalf. So we see that this is talking about the people of God, right? We're talking about the elect of God. And so I say all this and I've said all this so that we might get the context of God's love. Whenever we speak of God's love, we speak of God's love to His elect. Now there is a love of God towards Christ as His chief elect, and as His seed, we are also the elect of God. Why? Because we are in Him. We are His seed. Okay? And so we are the elect of God. But we are specifically talking about God's love for His elect people. Now look at verse 3. It says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me. Now before that, we see God talking. At the same time, saith the Lord. Okay, the, the Lord has been talking. But now, here is the people talking about what the Lord has said. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Now here's what the Lord said to the elect of God. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, and that therefore is very important. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, 
What I want to do today, brethren, is I want to look at that passage in verse 3. And I kind of want to break that down just a little bit. Let's look at the first portion of that. It says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee. Now, like I said at the beginning of this thing, this is something that I cannot fathom. It goes further beyond any reaches that my mind can even go to, which isn't very far. But it's unfathomable to understand how a holy and righteous God can love a slug sinner like me. Why does God... See, it isn't about... I can't believe that that uh, uh, God doesn't love this one or that one. Okay? It's how could God love anybody? How does God love anybody? All of us. All of us have sinned against Him. All of us have been enemies against Him. All of us, in by nature, are unworthy to be in His presence as God. But yet God showed love to us. And I don't know how that is. I don't know why that is other than the, that was the purpose of God. That's the, only, that's the only answer the Bible gives us is because He says that He has purposed it. It was His pleasure to do so. The Bible says it was His pleasure. And the determinate counsel of God, He determined that Christ being our substitute and causing the ability for God to be just in justifying us so that we could be with Him and not be under wrath and not be uh, destroyed. That that love that's there, God did that for us. And I don't understand why. But He says, I have loved thee. Brethren, listen. If you're a child of grace, God truly does love you. It isn't just a, a fake thing. It isn't just something that we say. God truly does love you. He doesn't love you in a superficial way. And as I said earlier also, He doesn't love us in this ooey-gooey way, but we'll get to this here in just a minute. But how? let's look at some verses where the Bible talks about God's love towards us. And listen, there's a bunch of verses. I'm only going to deal with a few this morning, but there is a bunch of verses that speaks of God's love to His people. But the first one I want to look at is in Malachi, or excuse me, is in Malachi. Yeah, Malachi. I turned to Micah, but uh, Malachi. It's in Malachi, the last Bible, uh, last book of the Old Testament. Look in Malachi chapter 1. I want you to pay close attention to the context and how God words this. Malachi chapter 1. It says this, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. So Malachi is writing it down, but these are God's words. I have loved you, saith the Lord. So right there, God is telling His people that He loves them. The word of the Lord to Israel. Now again, there was a temporal, physical aspect to this as God's people, as God was using the nation of Israel as a type and foreshadow of the elect of God. Okay? 
But yet this is speaking of the spiritual people of God. I have loved you, saith the Lord. But the people say, just like I just said a minute ago, I don't know how God can love me. How in the world can a holy God love me? And so the question might arise, okay, well, if you've loved me, how do I know that? How do I know that God has loved me? In what way have you shown your love? Well, God's shown his love in a couple of ways, the Bible teaches us. And here we see, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? And God responds, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Now, why did God say that? <coughs> he was, if you remember, Jacob and Esau were twins, right? They were twins. Esau was born first, came first, and then Jacob came out of the womb second. But if you remember, Jacob came out clutching the heel of Esau whenever he, they were born. Okay? They came out almost as if it was one child, but there was two children. There was Esau, there was Jacob. And because Esau came from the womb first, he was considered the eldest child. He was considered the one who should receive the birthright, according to tradition and custom. He should receive all the promises of the inheritance But God did not choose Esau. He chose Jacob. Even though Jacob and Esau were twins, they came from the same mother who who was giving birth from the same father, Isaac. And Isaac, who was the child of promise of Abraham, so we see that Jacob and Esau... Both were children of the flesh from Abraham. But as we just read in Romans 9, it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of the promise, but the ones who are the children of Isaac, the ones who are the ones of promise. And God had already determined. Turn with me. Well, it says it here too, but I want us to read in Romans 9 because I want you to see see this. Romans chapter 9. Many believe that Romans chapter 9 is talking about nations. This is talking about God electing nations, not God talking about individual election, but national election. Okay, if God elects a nation over another nation, is that still not God electing one and not another? If God elects Israel as his elect nation and all the promises, including the everlasting covenant promises are only to them, then that means all the Gentiles are without hope. You say, well, all this stuff says, yeah, but hey, you're saying here that Romans 9 is speaking of the elect as it pertains to the nation of Israel, not the elect according to Esau or Edom. The Gentile nations were of Edom, brethren. The Gentile nations were from Esau. It was only those who were of, Je- of Isaac. It was only those who were of uh, of uh, uh, of Jacob who were considered Israel. And so Edom, Esau, they were not part of that covenant promise. Okay, and so if you want to break Romans nine down, say these are nations 
then you're then you're saying here that hey, Esau didn't get it, and he was an Israelite according to lineage. So all of Esau's line doesn't get the promise, and if you're talking about the promise, you got to add in some some salvation there too. Because this whole passage here in Romans 9 is talking about salvation. It's not talking about choosing one nation over another nation. But look what it says in Romans chapter 9. Verse 10 it says, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children, Esau and Jacob, be not yet born neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand. See, they didn't do anything good or bad, and it was before they were born. Not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. When in reality it was usually just the opposite. The younger always served the elder because the elder had the birthright. He had the prominence. Okay? In this family, that would have been Zach. Sorry, girls, you would have been out. Because the women didn't get the birthright. It was to to the sons. It was to the men. Okay? And so that would have been to the firstborn son. Which would have been, in this case, it would have been Zach. And so the reverence, the honor, would have been towards Zach as the firstborn son. Now y'all remember that. Let that go to your head. He says, It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written. Now here it is. The as it is written is talking about where we're at in in Malachi. As, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, keep that in mind. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But notice here, God's choosing of Jacob over Esau had nothing to do with whether Jacob had done good or bad. God's love for Jacob had absolutely nothing to do with Jacob being good. Matter of fact, we know by Jacob's life, he wasn't good. And all the things that we read about Jacob, Jacob was a surplanter. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was one who didn't trust God. And so we know that Jacob wasn't a good man versus Esau who was a bad man. We know that God did not choose based upon whether anybody had done anything good or bad. And He doesn't choose among His people the elect and the reprobate. He doesn't choose. He doesn't look down and say, who's going to choose him? He doesn't look down and say, that person was really a good person, so I'm going to love them. God chooses who he will love, irregardless of the person. He is chosen out of his own purpose and pleasure. And so that is what God is saying here in Malachi. I have loved you. You want proof that I have loved you? Well, here's the proof. I chose you. And I didn't choose them. The very fact that I chose you and not them shows that I love you because only those that I love I choose. And all those that I choose I redeem for myself. 
I reconcile to myself. I bring to myself. I make them their, your, my people. And I will be their God. There is this relationship of love and worship and reverence and, and, and exaltation, worship that we have towards God. And the only reason we have it is because God has loved us. And that love that God has shown unto us, He sheds that love abroad in our heart so that we have a reverence and a love and a fear and a, and a desire for God. And in Malachi he says, the way that I have shown you that I have loved you is that I have elected you and not elected them. That's exactly what he's saying in Romans chapter 9 whenever he is making the argument. I chose Jacob over Esau, not according to whether they had done good or bad. I did it out of the sheer purpose of my will. I chose Jacob and not Esau. And it didn't have anything to do with Jacob or Esau. Okay? So, brethren, whenever we realize God's love for us, we got to know that God doesn't love us because we're lovable people. God doesn't love us because we're valuable people. I hear that all the time in modern churches today. You're so valuable. God loves you. You know, God, you're so valuable that God couldn't let you go. You're so valuable that God couldn't let you go to hell. He snatched you from the fire. You're so valuable to Him. Listen, brethren, we are not chosen of God. We are not loved of God. We are not redeemed of God. Christ didn't die for us because we are savable. Because we are inherently good. Because we have some sort of a worth before God. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we are as grasshoppers. That we are as nothing, counted as nothing before God in our natural self. The Bible says that the, that the intent of our heart is only wicked continually. That's how God views us. The Bible says that when at the end of the day that all we can account ourselves as, as is, is uh, uh, unprofitable servants. The only thing that's good about us is Jesus Christ. And the only thing that God loved us for is out of the sheer pleasure of His will. So we can't ever look to ourselves and say, Hey, I was loved of God. Because I'm a good person. If you were only loved of God, you'd have been... You know, we can't ever boast or have pride in the fact that God has shown love to us. God loves us because He has loved us. Not according to anything that we have done. But here, we see that God loves us in one of the ways that we know that is because God elected us. Now, look if you would at John chapter 14. And I already tell you this is going to have to be a two-part message. John chapter 14 look with me if you would down to verse 23 Jesus answered and said unto him if a man love me he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him So if a man keep my word, my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, someone's going to say, whenever you read that, outside the context of all of Scripture, they're going to say, Aha! See there? God doesn't 
show his love towards us until we first love him. We first show our love to him. We gotta come and love him first. We gotta, we gotta love and choose him. How many times have you ever heard somebody say that God has given us free choice because God wants people who love him? God wants people, that's not true love if you're, if you're forced to come to God. That's not true love. God wants people who truly love Him. Well, here's the fact of Scripture. There's none that seeketh after God. That's the truth of Scripture. They say that there are people seeking after and that have a love for God that wants to come to God. But God says, nay, nay. There is none that comes to me. There is none that I, that, that seek after me. The Bible says that we are enemies of God, not lovers of God. So see, the very opposite is true of who we are. Unless God changes our heart first. See, there has to be something that happens. Now, I'm going to get into that later. But here we see, someone may say, there you go. you got to love God first. got to choose Him. Make Him the Lord of your life. you got to decide for Jesus. Use your free choice to choose your destiny. you got to choose this day whom you're going to serve. Right there it says that, well, brethren, the people that say that have yet to read John 16. Look at John chapter 16 and verse 27. I'm sorry, this is, this is another verse that sounds like the one we just read. We'll get to the verse of the meaning here in just a minute, 1 John. For the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me. And have believed that I came out of God. So here again, it sounds like the Father loves you. And the reason that God loves you is because you loved His Son first. And because you loved His Son, now the Father loves you. Well, we know that that's not true in the way that that's being interpreted that way, right? The Father... Himself loveth you. That's a statement of fact. How do we know the Father loves them? Because they love Christ. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what I just said. The Father loves them because they love Christ. That's why God started loving them. That's why God loves them is because they love Christ. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. It says, the Father Himself loveth you. And the reason that that is a statement of fact is because you are loving the Son. Say, preacher, I don't know what you're talking about. You sound like you're running in circles. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 14. John 4 and verse 19. <clears throat> we love him because he first loved us. 
If any man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother. Jesus said that if you love the Father, you would love me. So we got to use this to shed light on what was said in John. See, they don't contradict each other. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. This right here says we love him because he first loved us. Matter of fact, back up to verse 14. It says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now we'll talk about that as we progress through this study. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So, again, statements of fact. If we confess that Jesus is the Christ, that he's from God, and he's the Christ, then God dwelleth in him. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love, and we love him because he first loved us. See, that's why I say back in John chapter 16, whenever he says, The Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me, it is a statement of fact. That's how we know those people are of God because they love Christ. And the only ones that can love Christ are the ones that have God dwelling in them. See, people, whenever you take scriptures out of its context, when you don't take the whole of scripture, you come up, come up with weird doctrines that teach that God loves us because we love Him first. Whenever the Bible is just the opposite. And in fact, if you're still in 1 John, which I don't know where I turned away from it, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. There's that wilderness part again. Strangers, pilgrims. Okay? But here we see the Father has a love. I have loved thee. How has God loved thee? He has elected us and set His love upon us by electing us for Himself. And those that he has elected for himself, what does he say? I have loved thee. Well, what kind of love is it? Well, we just read it's not a love based upon anything good or bad that we do. It's a love that's based upon God's eternal love for us. It's an eternal love. Look back at our passage in Jeremiah.
Jeremiah 33, or excuse me, 30, uh, 31, 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. That's the kind of love that God has loved us with. It's an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Now, there's some things that we need to understand about this everlasting love. If God has loved us with an everlasting love, is there ever going to be a time that God ceases to love us? No. Why? Because it's everlasting. Was there ever a time that God didn't love us? Before. Before what? Well, you really have no point of reference because it's everlasting. If everlasting is everlasting, then God has ever loved us. So there's not been a time that God has not loved us. That's why I say whenever the Bible says that we are not under the wrath of God, the wrath of God is God's hatred being poured out upon a person. Whenever they experience the wrath of God at the final judgment, when the wrath of God is poured out, and listen, brethren, it will be the full wrath of God. It will not be tempered with love because God has no love for the non-elect. God has no temperance in His justice. See, today we have cops, we have attorneys, we have judges who feel sorry for people sometimes. And they may look at somebody and say, well, that person's never committed a crime. They love their family. They're an outstanding member of their society. They just accidentally messed up on this. And so, you know, I'm going to be lenient on that person. Listen, there is absolutely positively no lenience with God. God is going to punish you with all the punishment that is due for your sins. Unless you're His child. There's not going to be any removal of wrath from the wicked. And so when God loves us with an everlasting love, then that means that there has never been a time that God's wrath has been upon us, as I said before. There couldn't be, because God's love is everlasting. He doesn't hate us with a holy hatred, and then at some point starts loving us. That would not be an everlasting love. That would be a lasting love from that point forward. You you say, well, yeah, well, that's where it starts. God starts loving us when we choose Him. Like that verse said, when we start loving Him, He loves us, and He loves us from now on. That would be lasting love. But this says everlasting love. Eternal love. There is never a time that the elect of God has ever been outside or out from under God's love. And if we are in God's love, if we are under God's love, if we are the objects of God's love, then that means Christ is our substitute. And that God only sees His righteousness. So there is no condemnation for us whatsoever. I have loved thee with an everlasting 
love. Brethren, listen. God loved you before you were born. God loved you before your parents were born. God loved you before Christ died on the cross. God loved you before anything was made. Before the foundation of the world. Back in eternity, before God ever decided to start creating, God loved you. If you are His, He loved you. And listen, that love is never going to change. Because God does not change. That love will go on and on and on and on and on and on. No matter how many sins you commit, God's love does not change. No matter how many times you walk away in disbelief or doubt, how many times you indulge in your carnal sin, (coughs) God still is going to love you. Now that's not saying... Live any way you want because once saved, always saved. I am not, I am not saying that. I am saying that God's love, again, is not dependent on anything good or evil. If God's love is not dependent upon how much good you do, it's also not taken away for much evil that you do. God's love is irregardless of your activity. He loves you. That's what God's love is. God's love is a determinative love. He is determined to love you despite who you are and what you do. God is determined to love you. It's deterministic. And we also learn that God's love is an effectual love. That God's love is displayed. Again, we see it displayed in the fact that He gives us love for Him. But we see that this love is given to us in a loving kindness. Look at our verse there. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, so here he's saying, because I have loved you, I have done this. In loving kindness, I have drawn thee. In loving kindness, I have drawn thee. Now let's look at this loving kindness just briefly here. I've got about another five or ten minutes that I want to look at this. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 8. It says, But God commendeth His love towards us. God commendeth His love. God shows His love. God displays His love. God manifests His love. How does God show His love? Well, we've already learned one way is that God chose us. God elected us. God set His love upon us. And the way that He shows that love that was given to us in eternity, in time, He shows it this way. God commendeth His love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ didn't die for us because we did anything good. Christ didn't, do, Christ didn't die for us because we paid the right amount of money. Christ didn't die for us because He just felt sorry for us. Christ didn't die for us so that we might have the opportunity to choose Him. 
Christ died for us to show God's love for us. Now get that in your mind. God commended His love towards who? Us. Who are us? Well, here He's talking to, He's wrote a letter to the Romans. Right? This is the letter to the Romans. Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse, verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. This letter is to the elect of God. It's a letter, it's a letter to the people of God. It's a letter to the Christians. It's a letter to the saved. It's a letter to all those who are in Christ Jesus, the beloved. That's who it's to. And so whenever he says here that God commendeth his love towards us, who's he talking about? He's not talking about anybody outside the context of who this scripture is meant to be for. This scripture, or this letter, was written to those who believed upon God, those who were God's people, the ones that God loved, the ones that God sent his son for, the ones that God had elected before the foundation of the world, not according to what they had done or not done, but according to his purpose. He chose them, loved them, and in showing that love for them, sent Christ to die for them. That's who Paul is talking to here. He said, God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, not when we cleaned ourselves up, not after we did the law. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So is the Bible true when it said Christ died for sinners? Yes, but He died for certain sinners. Not all sinners, but certain sinners. See, so we've got to keep in context what the Bible says. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. See, the very fact that Christ substituted on our in our place, we don't have to have the wrath. That's why God did not appoint us to wrath, because He appointed His Son wrath on our behalf. He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. For if we, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. See, God showed His loving kindness by sending Christ to die for us. Now, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? Does anybody know? What do you think is the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16, right? And every time we talk about sovereign grace, Christ dying for just the elect and things such as that, everybody comes and says, as if we had never heard or read this passage, well, have you read John 3.16? Wait a minute, is that in the Bible? Let me look. 
Well, let's read John 3.16 in the context of what we've just listened to. What we've just read throughout the Scriptures, let's read John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How did God love the world? That's the question. Remember, we started at Malachi chapter 1. You have loved us? Well, how have you loved us? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. How have you loved us? I have chosen you. How have you loved us? God commendeth His love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who is us? The saints. The ones in Christ Jesus. The beloved. Oh. So this verse isn't talking about everybody. It's just talking about... It's just talking about... Those people, right? The the ones who are loved of God. Who were elected. The ones of God who are the beloved, right? That's exactly who he's talking about. Look, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever will... Ah, there you go, preacher. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may choose freely. Whosoever has a choice, you got a choice. John 3.16 is a verse about free will, free choice. Whatever you want to call it. Some people actually say, God didn't give us free will, He gave us free choice. That's the same thing. For me to have free will means that I have a free choice to do whatever I will to do. You're not getting off the hook by saying free choice instead of free will. You're saying the same thing. That would be me saying that God, oh, uh, we don't preach predestination. We preach determinism. It's the same thing. For whosoever. God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him. That in the Greek actually says so that the believing ones should not perish. See, the purpose that God sent His Son is to be a substitute for them so that they would not perish. Remember what we just read? Let me get back to it. Romans chapter 5. For God commended His love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by His blood, we are saved from the wrath through Him. We are saved from wrath through Him. Why did God send His Son? To show His love for us. And He showed His love for us by damning His Son instead of us. By pouring wrath out upon His Son instead of us. So that through Christ experiencing wrath, our deserving of wrath was paid in full so that we would not have to be eternally under God's wrath but eternally love why because God loves us with an everlasting love that means we are everlasting 
outside and under away from His love. That's what propitiation means. God is... Christ has been the propitiation for us. The word propitiation means without or out from under wrath. When Christ died for us, He propitiated God's wrath. That means it turned God's wrath away from us. He diverted God's wrath. And He diverted it to Himself. God's wrath is not upon us. And the reason that God didn't appoint us to that is because He appointed His Son. So whenever we read John 3.16, this is not a free will, free choice verse. This is just saying the statements of fact. The whosoevers are the ones who are the believing ones. And who are the believing ones? Again, the only ones who are believing on the Son are the ones who have God dwelling in them. See, we can't believe on the Son unless we have God dwelling in us. This verse is for the elect of God who are born of God. You say, well, preacher, that doesn't say that. Hmm, it's funny. What are the verses just right before John 3, 16? Look at verse 3. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wait a minute. The context of this verse, the context of this conversation is being born again. you got to be born again before you can see the kingdom of God. Look at verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listed, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it come, and whether it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, Art thou master of Israel? Thou knowest not these things? It's been, it's been taught in the Old Testament for ages. But yet, here you are claiming to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. You're the representative of the Pharisee people coming to me on their behalf to question me on whether or not I am who I say I am. And you come to me as the head of the Pharisees and you don't know this? He says, Verily I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Friend, that's like what we're talking about today. See, a lot of people are going to want to look at some of these verses and they're going to want to look at it in a carnal way, in a fleshly way, in a, in a non-spiritual way, just like Nicodemus. You mean we got to get back up in our mother's womb? Be born again? Jesus is like, that's not what I'm talking about. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's the fleshly stuff. We're talking about spiritual things, Nicodemus. You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born from above. You have to be of those people who were in Christ Jesus as His spiritual seed. Those are the ones who are the believers. Those are the ones who are of God. Those are the ones who see and enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So that the believing ones, again, in the Greek, it's not that whosoever, the whosoever is not even there. It says that the believing ones, that the believing ones should not perish, but have eternal life. Christ died so that those who were Christ, by God's giving them to Christ, those that belong to Christ would not perish. Well, how are they not going to perish? Well, someone has to stand in their way for them. Because the wrath of God is going to be poured out on all wickedness, the Bible says. That God will not acquit the wicked. That God is not going to turn away a blind eye and overlook everyone's sin. Everyone's sin. Every person that has ever been created upon this earth, their sin is going to be dealt with. It's either going to be dealt with in Christ as the substitute or it's going to be dealt in their own flesh. If you are Christ, Christ took your wrath so that you would not perish. That's the context of John 3.16, brethren. The whole Bible. The whole context is not free will, free choice. God loves us with an everlasting love and therefore in loving kindness. See, God had to show and take come in kindness and do something for us to, so that we might not only know that God loved us because we don't know that God loves us unless God does something in kindness on our behalf for us, outside of us. That's the eternal legal work of Christ. Or unless God does something experientially in us by putting His Spirit in us and giving us spiritual understanding and growing us in knowledge. See, we would never experience God's love. We'd never know it. Because it's not naturally discerned. It's not naturally known. It's not naturally felt or seen or, or desired even. So God in kindness... Loving kindness has brought us to a place where that we can know. Look at Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. I'm going to have to hurry. Ephesians 2, I'm already over. Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. So in loving kindness, God commended His love towards us by sending Christ to die for us. John 3.16 Christ came and died for us so that we would not perish. And look, in loving kindness, God gave us His Spirit. He quickened us. See, that's what God has done in loving kindness. And in that loving kindness, we're going to find out here next week, is God drawing us. 
says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. You would look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. Scripture says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. So here we see that God has given us a consolation and a good hope. Now this hope isn't a a hope so, (coughs) a maybe so, this hope is undergirded by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He has given us a full assurance of faith and a full assurance of hope. The Spirit has been given to us to bear witness with our spirit that we are His. So God, who has loved us, has given us an everlasting consolation. What is a consolation? That is a peaceful spirit or a, a feel-good, right? To be com- to be consoled is to is to be made to feel to feel good. Have you ever heard or watched a, a game show and somebody that didn't win that they said we have a nice consolation prize for you? You know what that is? It was like we was watching Jerry Seinfeld uh, stand up yesterday. And one of the things he said is to come in second place is the worst thing in the world because you are the first loser. You are you are the best of all the losers. <laughs> he, he said, you know, a consolation prize is basically saying you didn't win, but we got pity on you, and so we're going to give you some little prize. And if you remember, especially back whenever I was a kid, on those game shows, usually they give them a, a board game of the game that they were actually playing. Playing like here, you take on the Wheel of Fortune board game or something like that, you know, and everything like that. Oh, gee, Chuck, thanks. Um, the word consolation is the Lord has given us in loving kindness, has given us a consolation and a hope through grace. And then lastly, let's look at. Um, 1 John chapter 4. And we'll have to finish all this, the rest of this study up, Lord will, next week. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. There's where the Bible says God is love. I mean, it equates love with God. God is love. That's His character. That's His nature. That's who He is. And let me just say this on a side note. And we'll learn and we'll see this next week though. Just because God is love and that's His nature doesn't mean that God is not wrath. God can coexist as both love and wrath. You say, well, how, how is that? Well, if you want to know God's love and wrath, or God's love and justice, God's holiness and God's justice. Just look at the cross. 
we see the greatest expression of love by Christ on the cross. But we also see the greatest expression of God's wrath, Christ on the cross. God who spared not his own son, the Bible says. He didn't spare his son. God's wrath is so immense. And I've heard people say that, say this all the time, and there is a thread of truth to this and in, 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 in delivering the truth about this. But this, you think that God is going to spare you in your sins whenever He didn't even spare Christ who had no sin for somebody else's sin? Christ died for somebody else's sin, and yet God punished Christ with all the punishment that God could mete out. There was no wrath left. The Bible says that Christ drunk the cup of God's wrath. He drunk all of it. Meaning that all of the wrath of God, and just think of the wrath of God. I mean, look, you look at our world today and you see tornadoes, you see floods, you see avalanches. We watch videos on TV and we see all kinds of, of, of things that you just never would. I mean, sinkholes opening up and whole neighborhoods falling in. You see a mountain coming down the side of a thing and, and just this avalanche of snow just demolishing everything that's below it. You see volcanoes and giant lava coming out and covering over a city, destroying it. You look in the Bible and you see God destroying whole nations over certain sins. Sodom, Gomorrah, what did God do? Destroyed them all by fire. Rained down fire and brimstone. Destroyed the whole entire city and everybody in that city... God sent a flood and except for eight people, God killed everything except the two of each animal that was on the ark and the eight people that were in there. God destroyed everything on the face of the earth. But the wrath that God pours out for sin is going to be way more than that. And Jesus took all that. Every bit. God didn't let up a little. God didn't just say, well here, let me give you a little. No, God poured out all wrath upon Christ. And it wasn't even his sin. It was ours. So you think God's going to be lenient to those who have actually sinned? No, sir. He will not be lenient to them. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us. So this is how God showed his love. Because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So that we might not die. So that we might not be under wrath. So that we might not perish. Again, the context of John 3.16 is found all throughout Scripture, yet so many people are missing the gospel of it. God, Christ didn't die for an offer. Christ didn't die for a possibility that someone could get saved. Christ didn't die so that someone might have the chance to choose Him. Christ died and His dying actually made it to where God would not pour out wrath upon them. So if Christ died for them, there is no wrath. <coughs> but we hear our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, we hear our family members <coughs> preaching and, 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 and things that God is loving everybody and that Christ died for everybody, but you have to choose whether or not that salvation becomes applicable to you. 
when God on the cross poured out His full wrath on His Son so that it says here, He did that so that we might live, so that we might not perish, so that we might be justified. He didn't do it so that it might be possible that we choose Him. He did it so that we wouldn't have to do it. Therefore, if anybody has been under that death, under that blood, there isn't a choice in the matter. God's already declared there's no condemnation for you. There is no sin forgiven. See, you didn't have to choose that. God chose it for you. But in loving kindness, He gave it to you. That's grace. We are saved by grace. He says, Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He, he was the propitiation for our sins. The wrath of God should have come down, but Christ propitiated that. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us, or matured in us. Brethren, listen, the love of God is a great thing, it's a mysterious thing, but oh, what a wonderful thing it is. What a wonderful thing it is. We don't deserve it, and it's not because of anything good that we have surely done. Now, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at the rest of that verse and see how it pertains to us as well. Does anybody have any questions or any comments or anything you'd like to say? Father, once again, we are humbled by the vision of Christ that we see in this pages of Scripture. Father, we bow the knee, we bow the head, we bend our heart to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even now, Father, as I've completed this sermon, and I'm thankful for the things that you brought to my mind, I'm thankful for the verses that you laid upon my heart this morning, but even at the end of all these things, I still feel unworthy and incapable of telling of your love, of what Christ has done. But Father, Lord, I pray that by the Spirit of God that you might teach your people not only the knowledge of it, Lord, but that they might truly, in their heart, that they might truly know it, that they might experience it, that there might be a hope within them, that they might, by faith, trust you for all that you have done and lean not onto their own understanding, that they might not seek after their own righteousness by their own works and by their own deeds, that they might truly live in the rest of what Christ has done as our substitute. Father, I pray that if there's any here today that is your child, that you have yet to bring forth, convert, give repentance to, Father, Lord, I pray that you would turn their heart, turn their mind, let them believe upon Christ. And Lord, of those who have done so, Lord, I pray that they might confess that, that they might profess that before the church, that they might uh, 
seek after baptism as you have commanded us to be baptized. If we believe that we are to be baptized to show forth what Christ has done on our behalf, to follow after you what you have commanded us to do in this New Testament church, and that we might, by that baptism, that we might see in remembrance the things that Christ has done for us, and that they might be added to the church, and that they might grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and also become a part, an, act, an active member of this church that, that uh, uh, labors in the gospel along with us, Lord. And we just pray that you might do that, Father, that you just might grow this church, not, not numerically, that, we, uh, that we, we long to see other people, Father. We long to see them come. If there's others that believe, uh, we pray, Lord, that you'd bring them this way. But we, we long that you might grow us in maturity in the faith, maturity in our relationship one with another and our love for one another and our love for you. Lord, we know that we cannot love you perfectly and we know that we cannot love our neighbor perfectly. Christ had to do that for us just as much as the, the Old Testament law. He had to love us and love you perfectly. But Father, as you shed that love abroad in our heart <clears throat> and you perfect that love in us, we pray, Lord, that you would let us show these acts of love towards our brethren. And uh, we pray that you'd keep us in unity. Lord, I just thank you again for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. We ask it all in his precious and holy name. Amen.